Welcome to the Dublin Bible Talks, midweek Bible talks for workers in Dublin. I'm Cameron Jones. The Christian life is something of a battle, something bigger than our personalities or nations or world powers. Today we learn the secret of standing firm together from Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 to 17. And please consider joining us live on Wednesdays from your workplace, 1pm Dublin time on Zoom. It's a simple way of identifying as a Christian in your workplace. Simply use the link bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks. That's bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks. Well, over the past weeks, we have learned from Jesus' messenger, Paul, uh, from some worked examples of how Jesus' resurrection impacts on the real everyday life of the Christian, whether in the family or whether in the work, wherever we are, as we're walking the Christian life. But today, we draw back again to the cosmic view that Christian people know about life under the risen Jesus, what it's like and why it makes Christian life so radically different. In verse 10, we see the word finally, and that signals that he's not just finishing that section about Christian, uh, the application to various aspects of Christian life, but he's finishing off the whole letter. And as we pull back, we discover that Christian morality, Christian morality is not just a matter of personal preference, but it's living properly in God's universe under his king, the risen King Jesus. Good and evil are real. They are absolute things outside of ourselves. One of the distinctives of Christian faith is what you might call a rejection of dualism. Dualism is found in many religions and many philosophers, and it presents good and evil as equal opposites that are in balance. That one of them and the other of them are natural and necessary in order to balance each other. And they are intrinsic to all existence. That's the idea of dualism, equal in their existence and importance in the universe. But Christian belief, well, it certainly teaches that there is a battle between good and evil, but God tells us that this is not a balanced struggle. The good is independent of and predates evil. The deletion of evil that is going to be the final outcome of God's great plan It's a restoration to the original state. Evil will be defeated, and in fact, it already has been defeated, demonstrated by Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Evil that exists is in its death throes, but it still has influence as we live before Jesus returns, and the people we live among are deceived by it. Now, I want to take a minute with you to point out a couple of things I've been noticing in our own modern world in the past couple of years, and actually even in the last couple of days. And maybe you can share on our WhatsApp group whether you've noticed examples that might be similar. In a couple of conversations recently with local Irish people, I've been struck by the influence and maybe the reversion to a pagan spirituality in thinking about experiences of life and especially thinking about difficulties of life. And actually, in the preparation for this talk, I was listening to a sermon on this passage by an African pastor on the Gospel Coalition Africa site. 
And as I was listening to him preach, I was noticing a strong parallel between what he was talking about with regard to various traditional beliefs in Africa, especially the influence of ancestral spirits and fear of their control, and and noticing that it's remarkably similar to some of the beliefs in post-Christian Ireland. In Western culture, I found this is often expressed at funerals or in families who are experiencing loss and people will come up to them with assurances that their family members are present, are looking after them, are watching them, are caring for them. Have you noticed people saying things like that? And there's a danger that Christian belief can be perverted with by some kind of some of those ideas and it ends up being called syncretism (laughs) mixing other beliefs and christian ideas and taking a bit of this and taking a little of that of that and mixing them in together while trying to keep the same label christian and whether it's western christianity or eastern christianity or asian christianity or american or african this kind of mixing of beliefs about spirits exists I think it's particularly prevalent in some traditions, which you might call uh, charismatic or Pentecostal traditions, when speaking about spiritual warfare and deliverance ministries, but not limited to them, of course. But it's often suggested that any number of things can happen in life that are a result of ancestral sins, the influence of demonic power over generations of families, the fear and methods of trying to release people from this kind of bondage by people who hold that kind of syncretistic belief can be complex and it can be frightening and ceremonies are developed with use of holy water and anointing oils and symbols and talismans and what we're going to see from this passage in line with the rest of the bible it shows that christians who understand the gospel of the risen lord jesus we know we're in a battle but we've got nothing to fear That's one of the things that we're going to learn from our passage today. Just listen and see if that claim I've just made is true. But it would be incorrect to say that there's no battle. It would be incorrect to say that there's no war in the world, as if evil has already been done away with, as if the restoration of all things has already been completed. We Christians are told by our Lord that there is still a war, there is still a battle going on, and we're involved in it. And there's not just one thing we need for living the Christian life. As soldiers who are found in hostile territory, no, we need a whole armour. We can't succeed on our own. We need the strength of God himself in this, this warfare. And as we start talking that way, maybe, maybe you'd forgotten there's a war going on. Maybe my talking about it like that sounds just a little bit too confrontational, just a little bit too earnest. Maybe I'm over-egging it a bit. But friends, if that were the case, why would God give us armour and tell us to put it on? We would be fools not to neglect the armour that God gives us. And there's three key points in this, and we may not get all through, through all three today. But there's, first of all, the nature of the fight, and then there's the putting on of God's armour, and then there's some teaching of prayer, and I think we may put that off to next week. But first of all, the nature of the fight, verses 10 to 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on the full armour of God that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. There's three terms in that short sentence that focus our attention on the power of God in contrast to the weak powers of darkness. Friends, be confident that we are not in a dualistic world where good and evil are evenly balanced. There is no doubt of God's superiority. Jesus died and rose again. The final enemy, death itself, has been defeated. The phrasing of be strong in the Lord is what you call a passive. It, it says be made strong in the Lord. It's very much like the prayer if you turn back to chapter 3 verse 16 where Paul prayed that the Christians, what does he say in 3.16? that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Who's doing the work of empowering? It is not us. We're not calling on our own inner reserves of strength. We're not pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. No, that doesn't work. And it doesn't fit the gospel. Because the gospel is that we are by grace saved through faith, not our own doing, but the gift of God, so that no one should boast. So here, Paul reminds us, calls us to be strengthened, how? In his, in God's mighty power. Like, like God delivered Israel in the Old Testament by the Egyptian army. We're told in Exodus 14.14, 14, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent, still. Like when God took his people in the promised land across the flooded Jordan River, and those holding the ark simply stood while God held the waters back. It's God who does the work. We need only stand. Now remember that word because it comes up a couple more times stand. Well, why do we have this command? Well, that's what we see in verse 11. And we'll come back to the armour in detail in verse 13, where the command is to put it on. A command to put it on is repeated. But first we need to see why we need it. Verse 11, the second half, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The reason we need armour is so we can stand. There's that word again. Look at it in verse 11, to stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 13, it's used two times, you see it there, and then it's used again in verse 14. It's military language, taking a stand on the position, taking a stand on the territory that's already been won and not moving from it. But notice that it's taking a stand against the devil's schemes. Notice it's plural. 
The devil has many schemes that he will use against us to get us to to try and get us to move from our place of security in order to stop us from standing on that death and resurrection of Jesus that gives us an eternal future. And I suspect that we are, each one of us, vulnerable to different types of approaches and different attacks. And where one is strong, another is weak. (laughs) And sometimes, I'm not sure about you, and actually I'm fairly sure that you're not that dissimilar to me, where we are strong, where we were strong yesterday, we may be weak today. And so we need all the armour. Remember some of the things that we've been warned against in uh, uh, that, that are the schemes of the devil. Uh, they, they, they're characteristic of chapter 4, verse 22, what is called the old way of life. Chapter 4, verse 25, our tendency towards falsehood. Chapter 4, verse 27, our tendency towards an uncontrolled anger. Chapter 4, verse 28, tendency to steal. Chapter 4, verse 29, unwholesome talk. The devil's schemes, as we encounter them, rarely look evil at the time we encounter them. They look attractive. They look like legitimate responses. The devil lays well-camouflaged traps for us. And without God's own intervention, we would be moved from our position. Just as without his, interve- without his intervention, we wouldn't have gained our position in the first place. A Christian's first faith and their ongoing faith are both utterly dependent on God's intervention, entirely by his grace. Friends, this passage this passage is not here to make us fear. It is here to give us confidence that is properly placed not in ourselves, but properly placed, a confidence that is properly placed on the risen Jesus, who gives us God's own armour to wear. But we should not underestimate the power against which, by his power, we can stand. We need, to find, we need to know the enemy. And that's what we start to see in the second half of verse 12. All the opposition we Christians face in the world, whether it's in the workplace or whether it's at home or whether it's personally or as a community of believers, the, the opposition to Christianity that we feel every time we're opposed and we might even be spoken badly against as Christians or suspected or mistreated or are maligned, In other parts of the world, people are not just treated badly in those kinds of ways that are about words, but actually are beaten and sometimes killed. See that? We need to to realise that that opposition is not just something personal. It is a reflection of a bigger thing that is going on in the universe. So the person who has a go at you or teases you in the workplace, even those who are threatening or killing our brothers and sisters in Christ in various parts of the world, we do not think uh, that it's all bound up just in conflict, like other conflicts in the world, like wars between countries and peoples. No, the opposition to Christians today and throughout history is not just kind a kind of personal dispute. It is not just flesh and blood. 
No, it's reflection of something deeper that's going on. It's a reflection of the opposition to God in the universe. The opposition of the universe to <laughs> the creator of the universe. Now, we've heard about the devil in verse 12 in his schemes. But there's also, it seems, rulers and authorities. That was mentioned back in chapter 1, verse 21, where, where it's talking about Jesus being raised far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the name one to come. It's also mentioned in chapter 3, verse 10, where it says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. These rulers and authorities, notice, are underneath Jesus' authority. They are actually, and, and in fact, the existence of the church, the existence of God's people, are a declaration of Christ's victory over those rulers and authorities. But they're still there. They still exert some influence. And so we need to be reminded of the reality of the situation so that we will continue to stand as they thrash around trying to convince us of their lives, of their lies. There are, verse 12, cosmic powers in this present darkness. Perhaps referring in that little phrase to the pagan gods related to the planets, like those who believe in astrology, and believe that the heavenly bodies influence our lives and that we really should be paying attention to them rather than God for our future. Now that's the kind of thing that this dark world turns to when it places, where it places its trust. And we might be tempted to step in line with them, but no, stand firm, friends. Do not fall in with that kind of thinking. There are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, Paul writes. Yes, there are beings that are not earthly. There are things called demons. We're made aware of them here, not so that we can be afraid of them, but so that we will be able to stand firmly against them. They're not part of our physical world, but they can influence people. They really do have an element of power. But we are to remember that they are defeated by Jesus, by his resurrection. They rule the domain of darkness. But Christian friends, we've been removed from the realm of darkness into the kingdom of light. Remember what we learned from Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, as we were going through that letter. He, Jesus, has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So as you are attacked in any way by those who are still under the influence of that dark world, notice that It'll change, knowing this, knowing the reality, knowing that these powers, this struggle is going on in the background, will alter how we respond to those people who express opposition to us. Because you see that person who is opposing us, as someone who is not just opposed to us, no, they are actually opposed to God, their creator. When someone is opposing the message of Jesus... You see someone like we were, because we were once like them. And if they are having a hard, they are giving us a hard time, we see something that we have been saved from, and therefore 
we see someone who might also be able to come like we now are by God's grace. And so Christians will respond to our enemies not with harshness, but with love. We will bless those who curse us, and we will pray for those who persecute us. That's the teaching of Jesus, isn't it? Matthew 5 verse 44, Luke 6 verse 28. This teaching is here, friends, to remind us that the world we live in is not all there is. There is something bigger and eternal going on. So stand firm. And as we wait for our victorious King, Jesus, to return, we soldiers need to have the right equipment for the battle, the right equipment to stand firm. And that's what we find in verses 14 to 17 where we're taught to put on God's armour. Notice that all of this armour is provided for us. We don't make it from items we find around the house. We, we don't go out with a breadboard tied over our chest and a bucket over our head and holding a rake. And there is no fear that the equipment might run out or be faulty or break. It's not like, remember, I remember when I was in the cadet corps at school and uh, you were at the back of the queue. If you were at the back of the queue for handing out the equipment that you need for camp, you might not get the new equipment. You might get the leftovers, the things with already that's already got holes in it. No, there's no fear of that for us Christians. And notice who whose equipment it is that we're encouraged to put on. You notice that it's God's own armour that we're putting on. We're putting on the armour of God. And in that there are echoes from the Old Testament where it is God who fights for his people. Back in Exodus chapter 14, the people having been spared death as it passed over their doorways that was stained by the blood of a lamb. And they're camped between Migdal and the sea, seemingly trapped by the hard-hearted Pharaoh's army. And the Israel and the Israelites are terrified. And I quoted this before. Moses answered the people, don't be afraid, stand firm. Do you see the similar language? And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Just stand, and you will see that it is God who is the one who does the fighting, and it is with his armour that he clothes us. The image here is also close to a passage in Isaiah 11, verses 52 and 59. And you can look that up yourselves later on. But it is God who girds himself with with strength, and he fights. He is the one who is equipped for battle. His own unbeatable armour he gives to us so that we are protected. Again, notice that all we have to do, it's repeated in verses 13 and 14, three or four times, just stand there. Don't move. Just stay where you are and God's powerful armour will make you unmovable. So let's have a look at what we are told to put on. The belt of truth. Remember back when we started our way through Ephesians, all the way back in chapter 1, verse 13, 
Have a look there. Where he says, and you, that is, you Gentiles, you people who are not Jewish, and you, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. The truth is the proclamation of Jesus' lordship, his cross, his resurrection, by which alone we are reconciled to God. The gospel message, that's the truth. Paul, the man Jesus himself has sent to us to encourage us, well, what he's doing, he's encouraging us here to know the truth, know the truth of what Jesus has done. Look up into chapter 4, verse 15, to what Paul wrote about the truth. He says, verse 15 of chapter 4, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. By speaking this message of Jesus to each other, by speaking the gospel to each other, that is how we grow in our Christian maturity. And we carry in our mouths the message of Jesus, that great truth that saves and builds us. And so as we meet together on a Wednesday or lunchtime, our task as we're doing this is to equip each other for battle by reminding each other of the truth. In the couple of minutes that we spend before the session, as we wait for people to join, that's one of the things that we, we might try and do together. At the funeral for Queen Elizabeth of England, the soldiers required assistance with their ceremonial uniforms. I noticed that those who were carrying the coffin had to remove their big bearskin hats and another person carried them for them and then returned those hats to them when they needed to put them on again, making sure they did the work just right. And so as Christians, we, we, we help dress each other <laughs> by speaking the word of truth to each other. Not only people like me, but speaking and hearing from each other. And that's one of the functions of our Dublin Bible Talks WhatsApp group. Surely, dear friends, surely you're not embarrassed to speak the name of Jesus to each other, are you? We share the same faith with each other, don't we? And so let's speak the word of truth to each other, helping put each other's belts on. Second, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, this could be a number of things in the specifics, but here's the principle. You and I are to realise that our status before God is as people who are acquitted of all our guilt. Before God, we are now guiltless. We are now righteous. Friends, what is the power of the devil in the world? What, what power does darkness have against humanity? Well, it is the power to accuse us of wrongdoing. It is the power to accuse us of our sin, of our guilt, to tell us that we have no future but death and judgment and eternal consequences of our sin. That is the power of the devil. But the righteousness of God is given to us Christians to wear. We are declared by God to be free of our slavery to sin. Despite our wrongdoing, 
We are now right before him. We wear his righteousness. And no arrow of accusation can penetrate that. The helmet of salvation. You'll remember that throughout this letter, salvation has been something that has been referred to in the past tense. It is something that has been achieved. And we are urged here to be secure in our identity in Jesus and as men and women who have been saved. We have already died in Jesus' death. We have already risen in Jesus' resurrection. And we are already seated with him in the heavenly realms. Put on this helmet. That is, that is recognizing what God has done in saving us. That is a potent defense against evil and darkness. The boots. You see, we're given boots. Boots, what are they? Boots of the readiness of the gospel of peace. That is, being prepared to declare to other people the peace of God that we enjoy. Now, peace here is not some feeling of tranquility. You know, it's far more important than that, friends. The gospel declares the opposite of war between us and God. The truth is that our friends and our family and our colleagues and our neighbours who are not Christians, they can have peace like we have with our Creator. They can be reconciled with Him like we've been reconciled with Him. The means by which they can be recon reconciled is by people carrying the message, wearing the boots in the readiness of the gospel of peace. The means of the work we're ready for is emphasised in the next item, the sword of the Spirit, that is, the Word of God. Not only are we to prepare ourselves for sharing the gospel by putting on the boots, no, we're also to devote ourselves to actively spreading the message. For when Paul speaks about the sword, that is, the Word, he's speaking about how the gospel is successful. The readiness and the use of this message of the gospel is a key element in our resistance to the work of the evil one. Friends, uh, your colleagues, are they Christians? If they're not, then you are the most important person in their life. Is your neighbour at your home a, a, a Christian? Are your friends with whom you eat and drink and play, maybe husband, wife, children, are they Christians? If, if they are not, then you are the most important person in their life because you hold in your mouth the word of truth, the belt that holds everything together, the message that can reconcile even them to their creator, just like even we have been reconciled to our creator by the word of God. Now, you may have noticed that I skipped something. I skipped the shield of faith. The shield of faith that extinguishes the enemy's flaming arrows. Now, faith is a word that is very often misunderstood. Many people seem to think that because I'm a missionary or I'm a church worker, or I'm a minister, that I have something that they lack. They'll say something like, um, oh, I wish I had your faith, as if it was a genetic thing like my baldness. Just imagine someone coming to me and say, oh, I wish I had your lack of hair, but I am cursed with follicles that just will not give up. No, faith is something that we all have all the time. It's simply trusting. 
to depend on something other than ourselves. It's what we did when we sat down in our chairs, rather than trusting our legs from keeping us from the ground. You put your faith in the chair when you stopped taking the weight on your legs. <laughs> it was not your faith that kept you from falling, it was the faithfulness of the chair. We depend on the one who is depend-able. We trust in a one who is trustworthy. We rely on one who is rely-able. We put our faith in the one who is faithful. And we will not turn anywhere for our confidence except his work done by him on the cross, by him who rose from the dead. Here, here we stand. Well, what's the purpose of the armour? Well, I think as we look at the items of the armour, we see it has two purposes. One is offensive and one is defensive. There's so much more we could say, but there's the offensive weapon, which is the uncompromising proclamation of the gospel. We just keep speaking the truth about Jesus. And the defensive weapon is resisting temptation by trusting on God's work through Jesus for us. Oh, there's so much more we could say. But notice one thing for with me that this call to battle is not an individual call to individual fighting. We are not called here to a joust or duel where one individual is going against one other with the glory going to the person doing the fighting themselves. No, we stand together for Jesus' glory. It was, after, him, after all, him who fought the evil one and defeated him on the cross. Friends, this is a corporate call to arm one another, to work together in this work of standing firm by speaking the gospel truly to each other and to those who do not yet believe. Stand. When you've done everything, stand. Thank you for listening to the recording of the Dublin Bible Talks. You can join us in real time on Wednesdays at 1pm Dublin time on Zoom, bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks. That's bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks.